0: Welcome to Zestful Aging, where I interview inspiring, fascinating women who are navigating aging with class and sass. I'm your host, Nicole Christina. Hey everyone, I am so grateful for all of the downloads, and I'd love a rating on iTunes and a comment. And please subscribe. It helps the show's rating so other people can find it and learn how to age well. And if you are loving the podcast, why not check out the companion online course, Zestful Aging, Simple and Sustainable Habits for Health and Longevity. You can access it through my website, NicoleChristina.com forward slash Zestful Aging. It's based on the Harvard study of adult development, and I'm really proud of how it's turned out. Well, I've got my coffee in my hand and my trusty dog Sparky beside me, so let's begin. Today we have the pleasure of speaking with Florence Williams, who's the author of The Nature Fix, Why Nature Makes Us Happier, Healthier, and More Creative, which the New York Times calls fascinating. The Wall Street Journal calls her writing exceptional, droll, and crisp, which makes her feel like a pastry. She's contributing editor at Outside Magazine, a freelance writer for The New York Times, National Geographic, among others. She's also the writer and host of a new podcast series, The Double X Factor, for Outside Magazine, a fellow at the Center for Humans and Nature and a visiting scholar at George Washington University. Her work focuses on the environment, health and science. A warm welcome to
1: you, Florence. Thanks so much, Nicole. It's great to be here.
0: I'm really excited to talk to you. As I've told you, um, I've so enjoyed your book, and I've been sharing some of your research, um, or the research that you've talked about and and uncovered in the book with a lot of different people, um, and they, particularly about the fractals, which I'm going to talk to you about later, but uh, my, my circle is full of nature lovers. And so talking to them about the scientific aspects of that has been really interesting for them. And um, it's been fun to talk about. Oh,
1: great. Yeah, I love that.
0: So I'm curious, what was your favorite finding in this book?
1: I think that there were a lot of things I was expecting to find that I did. For example, that you know, when you're out in nature, it improves your mood, right? I mean, I think many of us have personal experience of that. I didn't necessarily need the science to point that out to me. Um, but there were some other findings that really surprised me. For example, that seeing something beautiful um, or that something that fills us with awe um, can actually make us nicer people, <laughs> can, um, can make us more generous and make us behave in ways that are more sort of socially and pro-socially minded uh, as opposed to kind of self-directed or self-involved. So there are a number of really interesting uh, experiments that they've done in the laboratory and sort of out in the field uh, showing that uh, if you take a group of volunteers to sort of gaze up at trees, for example, even for one minute, versus a group that you send to gaze out at a tall building <laughs> for one minute, um, that those volunteers will, will then act in ways that are more generous um, you know, in, in the moments following that viewing. Mm-hmm. So that really surprised me. Um, but in a way, it makes sense. You know, when we see something incredibly beautiful and, and sometimes even you know, awe-inspiring, we may have a little bit of trouble comprehending it. You know, I'm thinking of, of for example, you know, an incredible solar eclipse you know, that so many of us witnessed last summer. Um, it's almost something hard to understand. And so naturally we turn to our community and we turn to people around us. And then also at the same time, we just ourselves feel a little bit smaller in the face of incredible natural beauty. We feel more connected to the world and, and interestingly at the same time, more connected to other people.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, that that really resonates um, as a therapist. And Mm. when people will talk, even people who, you know, you wouldn't really consider big, you know, hikers or hardcore nature environmentalists, you know, I will ask them if they're really struggling, what what helps and they will say nature and it doesn't have to be fancy. Right you know that's that's really um, that's really been true. I'm curious if you think you would have been inspired to write this book had you not moved from Colorado to d c and experienced some of, of the depriva- the nature deprivation that you describe.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I think I would have um, gotten the assignment from Outside magazine you know that started this whole book and that was to go to Japan and um, find out what scientists were seeing in in terms of people's physiology, uh, you know, when they go forest bathing. So that was really the original assignment. Um, So it's hard to say, I mean, I might have still been really interested in the science, but I think having the kind of personal experience of of actually feeling the loss of nature so deeply in my own life Mm -hmm. really made these questions seem very urgent. Um, And important and also really motivated me to to try to write a book that could be helpful, you know For for most of us who do in fact live in cities
0: Mm -hmm. How's it been for you since the book's been published have you Do you feel as though you found a sweet spot in terms of you know getting? uh, enough nature I know you talked about walking along the Potomac and finding some you know parks do you feel like you found what you need
1: i feel like i have made a lot of progress Mm -hmm. (laughs) um you know dc is actually a city that's filled with greenery so i'm fortunate in that we have tons of parks we have lots of trees um you know i have a backyard you might be able to even hear some of the birds in my backyard Mm -hmm. right now because they're sort of going crazy Uh, i do walk almost every day out on the potomac and i do find very um you know, just healing spots of nature. Um, What I don't really find in D.C. is the quiet. So um, in the book, I talk about how it turns out that I'm pretty sensitive to noise pollution, Mm -hmm. which is not something I ever knew until I moved to Washington, D.C. With
0: the jet noise, particularly. Yeah, the jet
1: noise, particularly, but also things like leaf blowers and lawn mowers and home construction. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, when you live in these higher density environments, there's just all kinds of, of human made noise. Um, And so, you know, I still feel that I have to get out of DC in order to get kind of a deeper, more immersive, higher quality, you know, wilderness experience. And so because I know that that's something that I need and yearn for, um, I do manage to go back to Colorado, you know, pretty often. Uh, I'm, I'm about to leave next week. I'm gonna go for a few weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so it's just, I know now how important it is for me to find those places that are even more full of solitude.
0: I know this is a really tricky question and you can, you know, you can pass, but what does it feel like when you know you're not getting what you need in terms of a, a, a proper dose of nature? Can you describe the experience?
1: Well, I think some of it is just cognitive. Like, I know that I'm working on some big questions about my life or big decisions I need to make, um, or I'm trying to recover, you know, from, from, you know, whatever's going on kind of emotionally. Um, and so, so that's when I, I find myself really especially craving, uh, you know, a place that's got some solitude and some time and space for me to work through, you know, whatever it is I'm dealing with. Um, Sometimes they're creative challenges. You know, I'm working on a book, for example, or a piece of writing. Um, I'll know that I need to go out for a walk. uh, And that's where I'm gonna solve some of these problems. Or even more sort of notably, I need to go away (laughs) for like three days to solve some problems in my writing. And I need to do that alone, and I need to really clear the decks from other distractions and interruptions. And if I can be in a place that's more filled with nature, I know that I'll have more success.
0: It's just predictable for you. You know it's worked again and again.
1: Yeah, I think it's just a certain amount of experience and also just what I kind of feel in my bones. You know, it's like, oh, I, I need some fresh air. I need some quiet. I need to work this through.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. Do you think it's important that um, you're, if you are that kind of person who's sensitive to that and sensitive to noise, that you live with people or your family understands that aspect
1: yeah absolutely uh absolutely but i'm fortunate in that uh you know my children also love being in nature (laughs) and um we often go together um you know when we can um we go on hiking vacations we go on camping vacations we go on rafting vacations um so they totally get it and uh you know and they understand um too that that my work often takes me away not just for kind of writing retreats but because i'm a journalist You know, I'm just off and on the road anyway um, doing reporting. Mm -hmm. So it's it's just always been that way. And unfortunately, everyone's pretty accommodating. Mm -hmm.
0: Would you mind talking a little bit about the rafting trip that you were invited to take, um, which I'm sure was somewhat of an honor for the women vets who were really struggling with PTSD? Could you talk a little bit about what that was like?
1: Yes, sure. In fact, I've done now, even since the book came out, I did another second river trip (laughs) with a different group of veterans for my podcast that I'm working on. And um, again, it was a group of veterans with post-traumatic stress. Uh, And and what's so amazing and transformational to watch is that a lot of these veterans come on the river having not done a lot of adventuring you know, since they came back from war. you know, in many cases, when you have PTSD, you're sort of hypervigilant. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you hear a book drop and it sounds like gunfire. You want an environment that's very um, kind of low stimulation. Uh, and so it's hard to go out in public spaces. For many of them, it's it's hard to leave their homes and they don't very often. And so to come on this river trip, you know, is a big deal. Um, and And yet when they're out in the wilderness, they have this kind of opposite response. Instead of wanting to shut their world out, it's so beautiful and it's so fascinating and it's so kind of um, you know, sensory rich that they end up really opening up to their environment. And so they, they're looking at this incredible alpine glow on the canyon walls. They're watching the bald eagle soar overhead. They're paying attention to the rapid that's coming up on the river. Um, they really start to come out of their shells um, and then you see that happening socially as well, where you know by day three or four of the river trip, there's a lot of laughter and singing, and people are telling me that they're sleeping better than they've slept in months. Um, mm-hmm. They They form these friendships that then stay with them when they return home, and then they kind of support each other through the other kinds of therapies that they're doing. So it's very transformational. It was very powerful to see.
0: Mm-hmm. It just sounds like such a, a rich experience for you as an observer.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, very moving. Mm-hmm. It's very moving. And I've, I've spent time even since then too with, with other people who've suffered even you know, pretty serious trauma, emotional trauma, uh, and have watched how being outside uh, in the wilderness uh, in a group uh, has been so healing on, for so many people on so many levels. Hello Zestful
0: Agers. A short intermission to thank you for the incredible amount of downloads. I love creating this podcast and it's so satisfying to know that you are enjoying it too. Creating and hosting Zestful Aging has been a blast, but it does require a lot of time and resources to deliver a high quality interview to you every week. So, I've signed up with Patreon, which is kind of like Kickstarter, but for ongoing artistic projects. Unlike Kickstarter, the donations are recurrent and the amount is usually smaller. When you become a patron of Zestful Aging, you will receive special benefits, like behind-the-scenes info, a place to communicate with other listeners as well as other patron-only bonuses. These funds will be used to make equipment upgrades, particularly for mobile interviewing and to travel to interview guests like to New York City to interview participants in the diversity fashion show. I also need to hire a professional editor. So please go to patreon.com forward slash Zestful Aging and make a small but vital donation. Thank you for contributing to the ongoing success of Zestful Aging. And I can't wait to bring you more juicy, inspiring interviews. Now back to the show. And, you know, one of the things that I... I talk to other guests about and, you know, know about through my own work is that being middle-aged and over, it starts to get much more important to feel like you are having meaningful experiences and that your life has some purpose. Um, and I wonder if, is this something that fills the bill for you as um, a middle-aged or a woman of a certain age? Does this seem like it's an important part of your life as a, as a woman, as a human being?
1: Yeah, I'm glad you asked that because I have been thinking a lot about um, life transitions mm-hmm. and the role that wilderness has played throughout human history and culture, right, of, of sort of Rites of passage taking place in nature-filled environments. Um, you know, so many cultures, especially for adolescents, um, you know, will incorporate some kind of nature-based rite of passage, um, in which you know a, a group of young people is sort of isolated from their elders for a while, undergoes you know some sort of hardship or trial or transformation. And then comes back and is kind of welcomed um, into the community, and I'm 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 just fascinated by that how we've lost that in our culture, mm-hmm. but I think that adolescence is only one of those transition points in life, and and certainly um, middle age is another one. I think for both men and women, uh, and I think I think being connected to nature, spending time in nature, um, you know, f- again finding those opportunities for sort of time and space where you can really think about who you are what your identity is how that identity may be changing where you want to be uh in the future uh you know the wilderness can really provide that for us
0: mm-hmm. yeah i'm just thinking about i know your your first book was about breasts and the uh the consequences I, I you know I'm saying this very simply but of, of pollution and toxins on breast tissue and then this and your work really has this far-reaching um, part to it which is you know you do the science but there is there's such broad implications it's such important work um, do you feel that is that something that excites you and makes you feel a sense of purpose
1: Oh, absolutely. And, and thank you for, you know, observing that. I think it is true. And I'm, I tend to ask very big questions <laughs> as a journalist, you know, like, what is the human connection to nature? Um, what should it be? Uh, how does nature affect our, our health and our well-being? Um, I mean, those are certainly big questions that I'm grappling with. Um, and I think they're really fundamental, you know, to how we live on the planet. Um, they have implications not just for our health, but, but also for how we treat each other and also how, how we treat the planet.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah, if we would have known you in grade school, could we have predicted that you'd <laughs> be writing about
1: these kinds of things? Probably not. I mean, I, uh, I was a real city kid. I grew up in New York City. Uh, I love New York City. I love growing up there. Uh, I'm very comfortable in a city. Um, but I did spend summers... Uh, with my dad canoeing, mostly out west and a little bit in the south and a little bit in Canada. So I, ha- I always had this kind of dual personality where I was kind of wilderness girl for part of the year and then like <laughs> total urban girl for the other part.
0: <laughs> I see, yeah, and now I guess D.C. is urban, but you're also trying to find uh, some of the places that feel more green and more fulfilling nature-wise.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, most of us live in cities. As I mentioned, more than half the people on the planet live in cities. Um, you know, many, many cities have done a pretty good job of, of developing and building public spaces that are green parks, um, although I think, you know, all of us could argue we probably still have a long way to go, especially in certain parts of cities, right? Right now, people who live in the wealthier neighborhoods tend to have plenty of trees, plenty of nice gardens
0: those beautiful old trees
1: beautiful old right. trees you know the schools are sort of better landscaped um so i think access to nature is really a social justice issue mm-hmm. that's been kind of overlooked and you can actually see poverty from space if i you,
0: remember that part in your book and i was just yeah. floored by that
1: yeah it is shocking if you if you look at a place like washington dc from a satellite an image, you know, you, you see that there are parts of town that are plenty green and parts of town that are really kind of wastelands in yeah. terms of nature. Um, so, so if we really believe that nature is fundamental for our human well-being and, and sort of optimizing, you know, how we can recover from stress and be the best selves we can be, it really becomes a human rights question. How do we provide this access to everyone equitably? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's, that's a really... Just a really profound uh, thought. Do you want to talk a little bit about your new podcast?
1: Um, so I can't talk so much about my new podcast just yet, but I can tell you it will be out in September and people can look for it um, on Audible. Okay. And um, the, I've already made two other podcasts and they're both available on iTunes.
0: Tell me about those.
1: Sure, one was based on my first book, um, which as you mentioned, is uh, about breasts. Uh, that podcast is called Breasts Unbound, excuse me, it's called Breasts Unbound ah. and it's an eight-part series that looks at kind of the social and environmental um, issues associated with breast health mm-hmm. and it's funny and we have a lot of great interviews with um, people in the field. I, I go to Oxford and I interview um, a, an evolutionary um, theorist there. and. There's just lots of, lots of fun, fun stuff in there for people who are interested in health and also interested in the environment. Um, and then I did eight, eight, eight episodes for Outside Magazine's podcast about um, women in extreme sports and women in the outdoors. Uh, and that's all, that one's also available right now.
0: Is that, called, is that the double X factor? It is, yeah. Okay.
1: It is. And that's really about women. And um, you can find links to all of these actually on my website, which is FlorenceWilliams.com.
0: Okay. And I will put that up. Excellent. Would you just, can we just end by talking about fractals, please, that is my new favorite <laughs> word. Could you tell the listeners what, what that's all about? Because I think they're gonna wanna notice it next time they go outside.
1: Yeah, sure, in my book I, I interview a physicist uh, who is really obsessed with fractal patterns. And he's an interesting guy, his name's Richard Taylor. He used to study um, art, so and he loved Jackson Pollock paintings. Uh, And and he learned that there are fractal geometries in in these Jackson Pollock paintings. And then he started to apply that to other areas of his kind of more academic physics work. And basically what a fractal pattern is, is a pattern... uh, Basically what a fractal pattern is, is a pattern that repeats itself at different scales. So I think you can imagine this, if you're looking at a tree, for example, you know, you would see certain patterns in the leaves that are replicated in the, in the small branches that are replicated in the large branches um, and that are even replicated in the forest itself. Fra- many fractal patterns are found in nature. They're found in waves, um, in coastlines, in uh, clouds, for example, many different landscapes. And um, a number of, of scientists have found that when we view these fractal patterns in a certain dimension, um, that's sort of not too busy, but also not too boring, um, uh-huh. our brain produces alpha waves. Uh, and it seems to put us in a really kind of happy zone. <laughs> uh-huh. So, um, uh, you know, for example, I, I think we can all like picture those screensavers where you yeah. have these geometric patterns sort of coming and going and they, they make you a little bit mesmerized. Um, and they can also sometimes increase your sense of focus or calm. And, Is a spiral uh, an example
0: of a fractal?
1: Uh yeah. There, are, yes, absolutely. There's, okay. um, there, especially there's there's one famous fr- fractal spiral um, that was um, sort of mathematically discovered by Mandelbrot, who's the French physicist who came up with the kind con- this kind of concept of of fractals. Um, and you can see that on the internet if you look it up
0: (laughs) okay okay uh any last words you want to leave um, uh, our listeners with in terms of what you have learned about nature and its way of helping us be more healthy and in this particular case age well
1: i think that um there are so many ways we can look to nature to help us through life's challenges Um, and certainly aging brings up many challenges it also brings up many opportunities and I think no matter what we just want to be thoughtful and mindful about how we go through those changes so I really encourage people to be mindful when they go outside to pay attention to which kinds of landscapes really appeal to them you know some people are really attracted to for example oceans and beaches and others are really attracted to forests um, you know, or to, to trails, you know, in, in canyons or wherever it is that your happy place is, kind of know what that is, seek those places out, um, and then pay attention to how you feel in those places. I, I encourage people when they go for walks, you know, really not to multitask, mm-hmm. not to listen to their favorite podcast, <laughs> mm, Right,
0: exactly. They're, even if it's yours, Nicole. Yes, I understand that, that phone is a, is a real tricky one.
1: It's a tricky one, and I think we all know we're a little more tethered to it than we ought to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, you know, also I, I encourage people to really think about engaging all of their senses when they're outside. So um, ask yourself some leading questions to help get you into that kind of frame of mind. So, you know, what birds am I hearing? What fractals can I see? Um, you know. Um, How how does this tree smell and and what does this bark feel like on my hand? Uh, And just doing that uh, has been shown by especially the Japanese researchers to really facilitate this kind of speedy stress response in which we lower our blood pressure, we lower our heart rate, we can drop our um, levels of certain stress hormones. Um, when we're in a pleasant natural setting, and, and again, really engaging all those five senses.
0: Yeah, that's that's great advice. I think that's that's a great guidelines for people who really don't, you know, may may not know where to start.
1: Yeah, and I also encourage people to start small. You know, it doesn't have to be in the wilderness in uh-huh. Colorado. You know, it can be just spending a little more time sitting in your backyard, Mm -hmm. seeing which birds are coming in, um, you know, noticing the butterflies as they fly around you. Um, You can find nature in very small urban settings.
0: Are you aware of this little study? And I I can't remember more details, except that it was a teeny little patch of grass. And this was in in Manhattan and um, somebody did this experiment and they just came back to this little patch of homely patch of grass every day and noticed how it changed day by day by day every single day for a year and it was a real exercise in mindfulness and this idea that it doesn't have to be you know the whole rainforest or this you know deeply intense nature experience but even just this little um scruffy piece of grass could uh bring some of those benefits
1: and i think the more we do that the more we sort of focus in in a small space the more powerful um, our observations can be elsewhere right throughout our day so if we're if we're sort of cueing our brains to notice things in nature um you know that can really help sort of up the awe factor uh, which is known to be really good for our emotional health
0: Mm. I just want to say one last thing in closing. Part of the reason, well, I love the subject matter, but your sense of humor is wicked. And I'm sure (laughs) you you. have heard that before. Um, (laughs) Have you gotten that feedback about Um, the book?
1: Yeah, I really enjoy it when people can find the humor in my books. I, I, you know, I write science, but I do try to um, make it funny sometimes because sometimes Things are funny, they and also are. I think they, they can just help keep people reading and pe- keep people engaged. So thanks, I really appreciate that comment. Yeah,
0: no, that was just, that was sort of the icing on the cake for me, because you already had me with the subject matter. <laughs> but, so I've been, uh, I've been singing your praises. Uh, so I just want to thank you again for such a beautiful book, and I love what you're doing in terms of really looking at the big picture the human rights question in this and, you know, ha- how how we share the good stuff with everyone. I, I really well, appreciate that.
1: Likewise, Nicole, I'm, I'm grateful for what you do to help bring these issues to a broader audience.
0: Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. I love to hear from my listeners, so send me an email at nicolechristina.com and tell me what you'd like to hear more about. I would also greatly appreciate if you could hop on iTunes and rate the show. Ratings help other people find the podcast so I can share all these good, juicy interviews with others. I would also invite you to become a patron of the Zestful Aging podcast. Hop on over to patreon.com forward slash Zestful Aging and consider making a small donation. You will be eligible for insider-only goodies and behind-the-scenes information, and it'll help you feel good knowing that you're contributing to the Zestful Aging podcast. I'll look forward to sharing more juicy interviews next week on Zestful Aging. It's been